Today's um, scripture reading is pretty long, so I decided to take excerpts of it. Um, it's about um, huge riots that took place in Jerusalem when Paul went to, back to Jerusalem. So we will look at several passages and um, well, just follow them on the screen. Before we do that, let us pray. Father, speak the truths to us. Allow us to know that in uncertain times, in times when things are ambiguous and things that may rile us and stir us up, you teach us how to love you, to love one another. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 20, verse 27 to 32 first. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, Ephesian in the city with Paul, and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. After receiving the, com the commander's permission, Paul stood in the, on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus, went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. And then verse 19 of chapter 22. Lord, I replied, These people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat them, beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This sermon is one of those very rare ones when I scripted it completely, largely because um, I wanted to be very clear in what I say. Um, once again, we deal with controversies, and um, yeah, so I decided to script it. So pardon me if I'm not spontaneous and I'm just staring at my script. This is what it's about. When news that the British Methodist Church had voted to conduct same-sex marriages once it has once again stirred a stir, caused a stir in churches around the world, 
and in Singapore as well. Every few years, such news rile up pro-LGBT believers as well as anti-LGBT believers. When the news broke that morning, I saw my WhatsApp notification light up repeatedly with queries, comments, frantic calls to prayer. And I thought to myself, oh no, not again. Like the uproar recorded in the passage that we just read, tempers fled, accusations were thrown at various people, nobody was willing to listen to anybody anymore. In fact, many wrong assumptions were made. In the case recorded in Acts, the Jews assumed that the Ephesian Gentile Trophimus had been brought into the temple by Paul simply because he had been seen earlier with Paul. After the news about the British Methodist Church broke, our bishop and the three presidents held an emergency meeting and issued the following statement. Um, it's a little small, but let me read it to you. It was reported that the Methodist Church of Great Britain has recently allowed for same-sex marriages, although clergy may refrain from conducting nor blessing them. This decision has no influence nor impact on the position of the Methodist Church in Singapore. Each national Methodist Church is responsible for its own position on this matter, and the Methodist Church in Singapore's position is clearly stated in our social principles, which affirm that a human sexuality is a gift of God, Sexual intercourse is a sacred experience only when it is accompanied by the love and fidelity of a holy matrimony between a man and a woman. We believe that sexual intercourse outside the bonds of a matrimony is contrary to the will of God. B. We recognize that the issue of sexuality is divisive because it is also deeply personal to our identity. While not the only characteristic, sexuality is an important part of our humanity. However, the fallen human condition also includes sexual brokenness, the condition by which our perception of sex has distorted what God has intended sex to be. C. We affirm that as Christians, the fundamental ground of our identity is found in Christ alone, regardless of age, gender, ethnicity, social status, or sexuality. D. We acknowledge that the sexual brokenness which affects all humanity is manifested in several ways, including the exploitation of sex, addiction to pornography, same-sex attraction, and gender dysphoria. E. Everyone needs, to be, needs the healing and transforming power of God's grace and the welcoming hospitality of the church. The church should minister and guide with faithfulness, courage, and love. Out of our brokenness, we may grow in holiness. Let's love God by loving our neighbour. Signed, Bishop Jordan Wong. While this statement is clear, it has not quelled the unhappiness on either side. The pro-LGBTQ side feels that once again, the church in Singapore has succumbed to homophobia. They are angry that Christians in Singapore have failed to recognise the needs the LGBTQ community and have not acted in Christian love. The conservative side feels temporary relief, yet aware that morality is gradually being eroded. They feel indignation towards the British Methodist Church for giving in to pressure from the LGBTQ side and fear that day by day the LGBTQ side will become stronger, the walls of the church 
are gradually caving in. And some others simply feel jaded. They ask, why can't we just move on? In such a state of anger and confusion, Paul shares not just theology, but how the Holy Spirit has confirmed the word and work of God to him. He does not preach to them. Rather, he speaks personally to the enraged Jewish mob. Personal stories, sincerity, and authenticity are far more important than rhetoric at such times. Even so, they may be drowned by the emotions of the crowd. On further reflection, I realize that the present uproar is not just about LGBTQ. It's about how Christians view sin, righteousness, and our pursuit of God. So I shall take this opportunity to not just deal with homosexuality, but about our understanding of sin and grace. First of all, I need to say that the Bible teaches that homosexuality is sin, and that the consequences are dire. Let me read you from Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 to 28. This is Leviticus chapter 18. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. Woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is a perversion. Do not devour yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the foreigners residing among you must not do any of these detestable things. All these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you. The land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. And then Romans chapter 1, verse 26 to 27 says, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men, received in themselves the due penalty for their sin, for their error. So the act of homosexuality is sin. I cannot imagine how hard it may be for you to accept if you have same-sex affection. I've agonized very much over this. I tried hard to interpret this away, even asking my professor and my university in my seminary in the USA, very learned master of ancient Far Eastern languages, one of the kindest and most compassionate persons I know, if there could be an alternative reading that would render homosexuality not sin. And he admitted that these passages were clear, that homosexuality was detestable to the Lord. But these passages are only relevant if we are pursuing God and have decided to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. They are relevant only to those who strive to obey the Ten Commandments and live holy lives out of love for God. Romans 1.28 continues, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. 
They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. The pursuit of God involves more than avoiding homosexuality. It It involves avoiding many forms of wickedness, including envy, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, arrogance, boasting, being unfaithful, unloving, and unmerciful. If we are not striving to please God in all of these other ways, then it would be hypocritical for us to judge those who live homosexual lifestyles. It would simply be a case of one trying to remove a speck from a brother's eye or having a log in his own eye. But even among us who pursue God with passion, we realize how hard it is to live holy lives. In fact, the more we pursue God, the more we realize how filthy and disobedient we are. Romans 7, 21 24 says this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Like the Apostle Paul, we discover that the more we want to please God and live for Him, the more we succumb to our sinful desires. What then does God do to those who continue to sin? There are two steps to this. Let me deal at length with the first step first. It is of utmost importance. The truth is this. God no longer condemns us regardless of the frequency and gravity of the sin. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Romans 3, 21 and 24 says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And for all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely, by His grace, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So no matter what sin we have committed or are in, we are justified or made righteous before God. Basically, in God's eyes, we are clean. I know that this is very hard to believe or to wrap our minds around. How could a person who is deep in sin be seen as clean before God? In 1998, I had been a pastor for five years and had grown disillusioned with the church. But it wasn't just church that I was disillusioned with. I was disillusioned with God. In fact, I hated God. I felt as if God was messing with my life every step of the way. I also hated my church leaders. I resented my family and I was bent on destroying my life. In my mind, I felt that if God was messing around with my life, why not just spite him and destroy it for him? I had planned to leave the pastoral ministry and return to law practice, but I had a far more sinister plan. 
I wanted to be out of the church so I could indulge in every form of wickedness and debauchery, not worry about what people would say about me. My then PIC, seeing my disillusionment, bitterness and rage, privately allowed me to not go to work for all, at all for three months so I could sort myself out. Towards the end of the three months, I made up my mind to leave the pastoral ministry. One night, I brought my Bible downstairs to the void deck. I had not read the Bible for months, and I only took the Bible out because I wanted to know what stupidity and madness had induced me to be a pastor. I flipped through the passages aimlessly, but suddenly my eyes rested on the passage in Romans 1 about human depravity. As I read it, the Holy Spirit said to me, That's you, Ming Li. At that moment, it dawned upon me that it was not God who was wrong, it was I. I broke down and wept in contrition, but could not be consoled. As a pastor, I had not only betrayed God, I had abused my church. I told God that I would leave the pastoral ministry, but not because I was angry with Him, but because I had failed Him utterly. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, But in God's eyes, I was spotless. I said to God, This is nonsense. Look at all my sins, and you don't see any of it. The Holy Spirit replied, this is all true, but will you believe my words? I desperately wanted to, but how could I? I continued to read and came to Romans 4. This is what Romans 4 says. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And the Holy Spirit said to me, You may think that Abraham was dumb enough to believe me. Well, will you be dumb enough to believe me when I say that you are spotless in my eyes? I struggled for what seemed like a very long time. How could I believe that in the light of all my sin, I was clean in God's eyes? Finally, my longing to believe overtook my skepticism, and I said, Lord, I believe. Please help me in my unbelief. As I said that, I felt a warmth of love overwhelm me. There were just waves and waves of love pouring into me. This lasted many months. I learned firsthand that night, the truth that despite all my sin, I am spotless in God's eyes because of what Jesus Christ has done. And I am convinced then that despite the sin of the homosexual, they too are spotless before God. It doesn't make the act of homosexuality right or something to celebrate or to be proud of. Nonetheless, every homosexual who comes to the Lord is justified and spotless in God's eyes because of what Jesus Christ has done. But herein comes step two. The Holy Spirit transforms our minds. Romans 8.5 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Over time, God transforms our desires and He gives us strength to overcome our flesh. I was introduced to Joe is not her real name, some 10 years ago. A church member who was a doctor had introduced her to me to help her with depression. Over the 10 years, we became close friends, often texting each other every day. Joe led a lesbian lifestyle. 
but none of her relationships were stable. She would have a relationship and then experience a painful breakup several months later. I guess she knew I wasn't supportive of her many relationships, because each time she developed a new relationship, I would not hear from her for a couple of months. And then after a breakup, she would call me. She lived overseas and pour out her heart to me. She once joked that she was aware that I knew when she had a new girlfriend. Every time she had one, we would not be WhatsApping for some time. But we continued our friendship. Joe longed to know God. Not just the sovereign God, but the Father who loved her. And she experienced God's presence in ever-increasing ways. She kept a journal with which she shared with me. I could see her growing closer and closer to God despite her many tempestuous lesbian relationships. She told me she very much wanted to go to church, but didn't do so as people would ask her about her marital status and all that. One day, quite recently, she told me that she was beginning to find the desire to live a celibate lifestyle and to commit to pursuing God. It is taking a long time for God to ease Joe's fears and woo her to himself, but I see it happening day by day. I want the church to do that for all those in Joe's position, to share life with them, to seek God together with them, to never let them feel that they are any different from the rest of us sinners. One more thing then, what about same-sex marriage? I once asked Joe why she did not marry any of her girlfriends. She explained that it was one thing to sin by having lesbian relationships, but to her it was a slap in God's face, an open defiance to seal that sin in marriage. I applaud her. Yet I know that I have done many things in open defiance of God, and God has never stopped loving me. If a gay married couple comes to join us, we welcome them as a couple. It may seem hard, but God redeems even the most difficult cases. I remember the story of King David's adulterous and murderous affair with Bathsheba. Notwithstanding what he had done, how the firstborn died, King Solomon was born through Bathsheba, and she ultimately became the ancestor of Jesus. My prayer is that we will live out these three truths and principles. One, we will recognize that what is sin is sin, and not rationalize it, no matter how compelling the need to compromise is. Whether the sin is adultery, including pornography, or murder, including hating another person, or covetousness, which is the love of money, or gossip, or boasting, or arrogance, or homosexuality, we will not justify these actions and say that what is wrong is right. We will affirm that all sinners are spotless before God because Christ has taken the sin and guilt upon himself. Paradoxically, Regardless of how grave our sin is, we affirm that we are God's beloved. And this has nothing to do with our merit. It is simply that God has made it so. And three, we believe that the Holy Spirit will change our desires as we draw closer to God. However long this process will take, we will keep on pursuing God and in the process allow God to change us. Let us pray. Father, in many ways, we rationalize away sin. We tell ourselves that things that we do, whether it is the love of money or whether it is a hatred of someone, or whether it is our lust for others, 
we try to rationalize away our sins. Forgive us for that. Help us, Lord, to face the truth that sin is sin. And that which is destructive is destructive. That we may not say that what is wrong is right and what is right is wrong. But Father, in very mysterious, wonderful way, you have declared that we are clean before you. We don't understand this, Lord, because we see our sin right before our eyes. We know how sinful we are. We know that often even when we know what is wrong, we do it. And when we know what is right, we refuse to do that which is right. And God, our sin is ever before our eyes. But Father, the mystery and the miracle is that in your eyes, we are just your beloved. We are clean before you because of what Christ has done. Help us to realize this, Lord. Help us to realize that each of us is clean before you, but also the ones who come to us different from us, the ones who sin in different ways from us. We may not judge, we may not differentiate, we may not condemn. We may know each of us is a sinner, but made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, then we ask that you will make us indeed a community that, that welcomes each person who wants to pursue you. Father, help us to pursue you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Despite the sins that beset us, despite the daily failures that we have in life, Failures, moral failures, failures in our attempts to live holy lives. Help us, Lord, to keep pursuing you. To let your Holy Spirit change our desires, our appetites, our minds and our hearts. So God, there's this saga of, saga of the LGBTQ continues for a long time maybe. We ask, Lord, that you make it clear in our hearts and our lives what you desire of us. That we may be a church of people that embraces all, giving all every opportunity to grow in you, giving all the protection and security and safety that we need from each other, for each other. Father, teach us how to love. Teach us how to walk this way that recognizes that which is good and clean and pure, but embracing each of us who's defiled, that we may grow to be in your image. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.